Greetings from Latter-day Media, presenting our dear friend and epic historian on Joseph Smith and church history, Brother Kay Godfrey. This episode explores the unique circumstances involving the burials of Joseph and Hiram Smith. Podcast 23. As promised, today's podcast, a special podcast, will deal with the unique circumstances involving the burial of Joseph and Hiram Smith. About three o'clock in the afternoon on June 28, 1844, Willard Richards and Samuel Smith arrived in Nauvoo uh, with the two oak boxes covered with branches containing the bodies of Joseph and Hiram. The bodies were taken to the mansion house. 10,000 people were addressed by Willard Richards. He admonished them to keep the peace and not to seek revenge. Preparations began immediately for the viewing and burial of the prophet and patriarch. George Cannon made the death masks. George Cannon, father of future church leader George Q. Cannon, was a furniture maker by trade who doubled as the local undertaker. He made coffins as well as cabinets. With the help of William and Dimmick Huntington and William Marks, they washed the bodies and prepared them for their families to be viewed. Hiram's face, black and bruising, had a hole on the left side from a 69 caliber ball. That hot, humid June day, both bodies began to deteriorate even as they were preparing them for the death mask. Joseph and Hiram's bodies were positioned sitting up and a frame was built around their head for the molds to be made of their faces. The molds took an hour or more to dry before they could be removed without distorting the features of the prophet and his brother. William Rowley, a plasterer by trade, would later make the positive images from the molds. But first the molds would need to dry at least a day before he could pour the cast. The masks have never been in the possession of the Smith family. It is believed that the masks were in George Cannon's possession until his death on August the 19th, 1844. At that point, William Rowley, the plasterer, obtained them. Rowley sold the mask to Philo Dibble, a close friend of Joseph Smith, in 1849 for $100, which was a half-year's salary for a laborer. This transaction took place in winter quarters. Philo exhibited them throughout the Utah Territory for decades. He called his exhibit the Gallery in Zion. He eventually sold them to an artist by the name of James Henry Brown. Brown's family then sold the mask to Wilford C. Wood, a collector who dedicated much of his life to buying and preserving historical church artifacts. The masks were displayed in his personal museum in Bountiful, Utah for several decades. After Wood's death, pieces of his collection were donated to the church by his daughter, Leela Glade, and Mary W. Cannon. In 1990, they donated uncut sheets of an original 1830 copy of the Book of Mormon, as well as the death mask, to the church history department. President Ezra Taft Benson was the prophet at the time. This author has both examined these death masks, the Philo Dibble death mask, and compared them with his own personal copies of the death mask. The making of death mask had been in practice for at least several decades by the time of the martyrdom. Probably the best known at that time was Napoleon's death mask. 
Generally, death masks were made for famous or prominent individuals. So making these death masks suggested an attitude towards Joseph and Hiram that these are important men that we want to remember. As the bodies were being claimed by the Huntingtons, they reported the following. Joseph was shot in the right breast, also under the heart, in the lower part of the bowels on the right side, and on the back part of his right hip. One ball came out at the right shoulder blade. Close quote. For viewing by family, and eventually church members, the bodies were placed in coffins covered with black velvet and lined with white cambric or linen, and then placed in rough-hewn pine boxes. Emma, Mary, and their children were the first to see their husbands and fathers. Emma, in shock, nearly fainted. Clinging to Joseph, Emma kissed him over and over, again calling his name. Mary Fielding manifested calmness and composure throughout this ordeal. Lucy also saw her two martyred sons. In agony, she said, quote, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken this family? A voice then replied, I have taken them to myself that they might have rest. This manifestation was a great comfort to Lucy through the difficult days ahead. On Saturday, June the 29th, the bodies lay in state. The doors were open from 8 a.m. through 5 p.m. Over 10,000 people filed through the mansion house to pay their respects. At the viewing, the prophet lay in state in a coffin that had a glass hinge cover over the face. When the viewing was complete, the coffins were removed from the boxes and concealed in the mansion house. The pine boxes were then weighted with sandbags, nailed shut, placed in a hearse, and driven to the Smith family vault near the temple. Now this was done to prevent the stealing or mutilation of the bodies by enemies of the church. Reports received in Nauvoo indicated that enemies of the prophet had offered a reward of $1,000 for the head of Joseph Smith. As the hearse bearing the bodies of Joseph and Hiram passed the Nauvoo Grove, or meeting ground, William Wine Phelps, W.W. W. Phelps, was preaching the funeral sermon. William Phelps, a close friend of Joseph, was not without his problems. His fiery speech, especially in written word and song, often made more enemies than friends. He was also excommunicated in 1838 for issues involving church finances and the selling of Missouri land. Phelps also testified against Joseph at a hearing, charging Joseph with treason against the state of Missouri. His testimony carried considerable weight as Joseph was then incarcerated in Liberty Jail. However, by 1840, Phelps had humbled himself and wrote a letter to Joseph on June the 29th, 1840, from his home in Dayton, Ohio. He asked for forgiveness and the hand of fellowship from Joseph. Joseph wrote back to William that although he was hurt by his actions, he would forgive him. Joseph paraphrased the Methodist poet Charles Wesley and said, Come on, dear brother, since the war is past, for friends at first are friends again at last. The following are a few of the comments made by William Wine Phelps as he was the eulogist at Joseph and Hiram's funeral services. 
quote, can Joseph hope to pass the scrutiny of public opinion without encountering the same destiny that has attended new religions? Then whirling on his heels observed in a low tone to one of his aides, the trial must come, and so it has. And so when Jesus came among the Jews with a new religion, they crucified him. And can the Mormons hope for anything less from a higher order of society in these United States? Tell the world, and let eternity bear record, that the great name of Joseph Smith will go down to unborn worlds and up to sanctified heavens and gods with all his shining honors and endless fame, while the infamy of his persecutors can only be echoed in their ashes. And yet, glory to God in the highest, the very dust has spoken, the meek have heard, the wise have come, and the everlasting gospel is being preached to all nations as a testimony that the last days are here and the wicked must perish. Well, about midnight, a small group of Emma's trusted friends, including Oliver, William, and Dimmock Huntington, took the two coffins from the mansion house and buried them in an area inside the unfinished Nauvoo house. A summer storm was looming in the west as the bodies were taken to the new hiding place. Quote, Suddenly a crashing, frightful peal of thunder broke, fearful enough to stir the dead in their shrouds. The bodies were deposited on the floor in singular haste. Now that thunderstorm that June night obliterated all signs of a second burial. About seven months later, in January of 1845, the bodies were moved again. A growing interest in resuming the construction of the Nauvoo House caused Emma to have the bodies again moved. Those who participated vary from tradition to tradition. The Huntingtons, Emma, a black man named Cleveland, Mary Fielding Smith, that's Hiram's wife, and Joseph Smith III are all mentioned in one source or another as being present. The bodies were moved to an area just south of the homestead, near or under an outbuilding or bee house, as it was called. According to one undocumented source, Emma asked to be buried 23 paces from the southeast corner of the homestead, quote, to be near Joseph. Well, Emma died April 30, 1879. The little outbuilding had long since ceased to exist. A third of a century passed, as did those who knew where the graves were located. Emma's grave was located 23 paces from the southwest corner of the homestead. Even her burial was uncertain for a time. In 1913, a dam was constructed near Keokut, Iowa. This dam created a river lake at Nauvoo called Lake Cooper. Well, the lake eliminated the Des Moines Rapids at Point Nauvoo, and many barges were now able to navigate the river. By 1918, the lake was advancing onto Nauvoo Flats and washing away land and putting the little small Smith Cemetery in jeopardy. Emma's grave and others, including the possible burial location of Joseph and Hiram, could soon be underwater. In 1908, Frederick M. Smith had given the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints the homestead and surrounding property where the cemetery was located. Let me read this slide to you. It says, At one time there were two timber islands in the river between Nauvoo and Montrose, Iowa. They were called Kimball and Galen Islands. 
The prophet Joseph would at times retreat to one of these islands for safety when being persecuted. In fact, Doctrine and Covenants section 128, Baptism for the Dead, was written while Joseph was in seclusion on the islands. These islands are now underwater since Lake Cooper was formed in 1913. The dam raised the level of the river by 38 feet. You can see the issue now being created by this lake and uh, washing away and eroding the, um, the Smith Family Cemetery. In 1920, a guy named William O. Hans, who was a surveyor and civil engineer from Kansas City, was sent by the RLDS Faith to Nauvoo to assess the damage. The Keokuk Dam began operations in 1913. More than a million cubic yards of earth and rock were excavated to build the dam and plant. The history of the site as a power source actually began as far back as 1836 with Robert E. Lee when he conducted a survey for the War Department and called attention to the power potential of this particular section of the Mississippi River. The Keokuk Dam is owned by Ameren UE and is the largest privately owned and operated dam and hydroelectric generating plant on the Mississippi River. An average day of operation at the plant saves the equivalent of nearly 1,000 tons of coal a day. The RLDS Church threatened to sue the power company in Keokuk for damages and threatening the Small Smith Family Cemetery near the water's edge. The power company placed some riprap and large amounts of rock near the cemetery edge to prevent the water from encroaching and stop erosion. However, by 1928, the water had risen over the rock and now threatened the destruction of the unknown but believed to be burial sites of Joseph and Hiram near the water's edge. On Monday, January 9, 1928, William Hans arrived again in Nauvoo, and this time with the charge from President Frederick M. Smith, find the bodies of Joseph and Hiram. For three days, a group of cold workers dug. They were three feet below the surface of the water, bailing and finding nothing. The workers continued to work, excavating around the known grave of Emma. Everyone was getting discouraged. It was cold, and the workers who were only being paid 35 cents per hour had just about exhausted the $40 given William to pay them with. On Sunday, January 15th, at William's request, the RLDS Church held a church-wide fast in an effort to find the missing bodies. On Monday, January 16th, William arose early and with flashlight in hand went to the dig site in hope of some inspiration. As he gazed over the mess of ditches and dirt, his flashlight beam rested on a spot six feet from the east of Emma's grave. As I stood there, the feeling came to me very strong to sink a ditch in that location. By 8 a.m., I had the whole force of men digging there. By 10 o'clock in the morning, the workers had located the four sides of the foundation of a small outbuilding about eight feet square. Earlier, trenches were within just inches of this structure, but it had remained undiscovered. About four feet below the surface, we came across a brick floor. This floor was carefully removed, and the workers now came across a skull, 
easily recognized as that being of Hiram by the bullet hole under the eye. At 2.10 p.m., after seven long days of digging, the bodies of both the Prophet Joseph and Patriarch Hiram were found. They were found 38 feet south and 20 feet west of the southwest corner of the old homestead. These are all actual photos of this archaeological dig in an effort to try and find the bodies of both Joseph and Hiram. You can see the the two skulls, one badly damaged with a large piece of skull missing, and the other one um, you can see and make out that it is a human skull. The bodies were removed to the mansion house where they were measured and photographed. The bodies were arranged in silk-lined coffins for final burial. On Friday, January 20th, it was 12 degrees Fahrenheit, with a northern wind that gusted up to 30 miles per hour. On this bitter cold day, Joseph, Hiram, and Emma were reinterred in a rather simple ceremony. The three graves were then covered with two feet of solid concrete. There was a considerable amount of publicity with regards to the exhuming and reinterment of Joseph and Hiram. Joseph Fielding Smith, Jr. felt that the body should never have been moved, and in doing so, quote, said, this was an unholy and sacrilegious act. President Frederick M. Smith, president of the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, replied, quote, my only desire was to adequately mark the graves and provide a monument at some future time. On August the 4th, 1991, the Joseph and Hiram Family Foundation and the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Historic Center dedicated the monument that we have today. Joseph once said, quote, I will tell you what I want. If tomorrow I shall be called to lie in yonder tomb, in the morning of the resurrection, let me strike hands with my father and cry, My father! And he will say, My son, my son! And when the voice calls for the dead to arise, suppose I am laid by the side of my father, and what would be the first joy of my heart? To meet my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, and when they are by my side, I embrace them, and they embrace me. May they finally rest in peace. These are my desk masks. I've had them for some time. I acquired these masks through the Hiram Smith family. You can see on Hiram, whose face is closest to me, you can see the damage done to the left side of his nose. This is stuffed with cotton or wadding of some sort. And um, you can see that, uh, that his face is much broader than Joseph's, and he was, he was slightly larger in features. Whereas Joseph's more slender face, you can see, um, with the injury to his eye and to his lip, you can see swelling over his left eye, no doubt, as he fell from the window in Carthage and then hit the pavement below. But uh, these death masks are uh, very, very white compared to the church's death mask. And uh, it's interesting to look at the two side by side. Uh, the features are obviously very, very similar, but interesting things can be seen. It is my testimony that the prophet Joseph Smith was a, uh, was a man who lived up to his foreordination, that despite his challenges and despite uh, the persecution he faced, 
Like the Liahona, he stayed focused on everything he needed to accomplish, and in so doing has provided the opportunities we have today to be sealed together for time and eternity as families. This Come Follow Me video series is a bonus resource to enhance your appreciation of the Prophet Joseph Smith with little-known facts and research about American and church history. Thank you for listening today and for sharing this ComeFollowMe2021.com website. We sure appreciate those who have been contributing on our Patreon page under Latter-day Media. We'll have a link in the show notes, and we would love to invite more to help support this work. To contact Kay, email him at footstepsofjoseph at gmail.com. Oh.